Hello, welcome, fellow humans of the Proto Metaverse. My name is Chris Miranda, uh, and I host the podcast called Enter VR. And really, I gotta thank Jay Zhao. Um, really quick, let's give Jay a round of applause for putting this together because he's been amazing. Um, so let's get, thing, let's get this thing started. Uh, this is a panel conversation uh, about funding this thing called the metaverse. Um, but it's more or less, you know, virtual reality. How do we get from this concept inside my mind and in the minds of a lot of enthusiasts to a full-out thing that engulfs all of humanity? Um, and this is what we're here for. And so what we're going to do, we're going to have a quick conversation, 50 minutes. Um, after that, we're going to do Q&A. Uh, for about 10 minutes, and then we'll do community announcements uh, for like five minutes. And yeah, it should be cool. So I'm just gonna start with Stefano and allow the panelists to introduce themselves very briefly um, and take it away. Hi, my name is Stefano Coraz. Uh, I'm the founder and CEO of Mixamo. Uh, we provide 2D characters and animations for developers and for VR. Hello, I'm Tipitat Chanavasan. I actually am a lot of things. I develop a lot of VR experiences. I'm best known for co-developing the Matrix VR with two awesome other developers, Eric Baer and uh, John Dadley, and we use Mixamo. Mixamo is awesome. Uh, but now I am the creative director of Rothenberg Ventures, and I was brought on to help run the world's first VR accelerator program called River. The application deadline has passed, and we will be announcing the 10 finalists very soon, but not today. Hello, my name's Cliff Plumer. Um, I mostly come from the film industry. I got involved with Oculus before there was an Oculus and uh, helped get them started. And I've been producing um, mostly live action VR content for the launch of Gear VR and what's to come from Oculus. I'm Chris Hollenbeck, uh, partner at Granite Ventures, one of Jay's partners. Um, and we fund early stage companies. Uh, I focus specifically on digital media and software uh, and uh, have the pleasure of sitting on Stefano's board, uh, among a few others in the tech space and VR is an area that we uh, have one investment and are considering and looking for others. My name is Morgan. I also work at Rothenberg Ventures with Tipitat and focus on VR full time at the moment and have the pleasure of saying that the smartest thing I've done in VR so far was just advising Mike Rothenberg to hire Tipitat. Sweet, thanks guys. Uh, so let's get this going. Why did you guys choose to be involved in VR in the first place? Um, and yeah, take your time, think about it, but I'll start with Stefano and work our way over here. Let's try to be succinct and brief because I got a lot of questions to go through and we, ha we got some rabbit hole to uh, get through. So, Stefano. Yeah, so uh, we're very interested in democratizing the ability of uh, people to, uh, to basically tell a story. And so uh, all our work has been around uh, allowing people to create characters and animate those characters, let those characters you know, walk, but also talk and express and, and carry emotions because the characters are so important. And so uh, when VR uh, started, the main challenge that we saw there is how do we bring characters, like talking characters that I can interact with inside a VR experience? So it, was, uh, uh, it is a huge challenge because we are basically dealing with uh, the Uncanny Valley problem uh, where 
in VR, unless things uh, look perfect, they look creepy. Uh, and, and that's a huge challenge. And so also because of how VR is perceived, you know, uh, the shading, the parallax, um, the whole content, the shading of the content and the fidelity of the content has to be completely rethought. And so we are seeing a lot of VR companies that are using our content, they are still experimenting um, in different ways how to best represent that content and, and tell a story. And it's a problem that has not been solved yet. And there's a lot of experimentation around it. That's why it's so exciting. And, and because you have this incredible sense of presence in VR, if you can tie up with a compelling story, it's gonna be emotional and even more powerful than watching that on a 2D flat screen. And so that is very intriguing and there's a lot of potential there that, that we can harness. So that's why uh, we got involved from the early stage and we have a lot of uh, um, experiments inside the company to try to understand what looks good in VR uh, from a character perspective specifically. So for me, I've always kind of viewed myself as a storyteller, artist. I started out drawing comics when I was in elementary school, like graduated doing some animation, video games, making you know movies, but really VR is the ultimate storytelling device medium. It's the way it impacts people. I've probably given over a thousand demos to people by hand at meetups just like this, to people that are novice, to people that are really experienced with VR. The way they respond to VR is unlike anything else there is no other analog or comparison except for maybe dreams. And so I feel like, again, as a storyteller, this is the ultimate platform, the ultimate medium. As soon as I tried the DK1, even though it made me nauseous, I, I'm so grateful the DK2 worked much better. But I knew that this is exactly what I've always wanted to work in as a medium. I'm, I'm glad to hear everyone saying storytelling because that, that's clearly the key. I mean, there's been a lot of, I would call them technology demonstrations of what VR is. But personally, I haven't seen a lot of stories yet. And what I did with a couple of friends is put together a team of you know, people from the film industry and game industry to you know, do just that. How do you tell a story in VR? I mean, for those of you who have a, a Samsung Gear VR, we produced a piece called The Recruit. And so far, that's maybe the only piece I've seen yet that at least has a narrative story to it. Instead of just taking a camera, sticking in the scene, and just letting the you know, the consumer just look around. I get asked a lot about, you know, how long will people wear these goggles for? And I don't think it's a technical issue. I think it's going to be a creative issue. If I can keep someone engaged in an experience by telling them a story, they'll feel comfortable with the, you know, with the hardware. So um, looking at a lot of what's coming out of Sundance this weekend, there's a lot of cool experiences, but I don't see enough storytelling yet. So that's my interest. Uh, most of it's on live action, which is even much harder to do than CG or gaming. But to me, that's what's going to really build up an audience is when we can tell stories and take people to places that, you know, they can't get access to. And Cliff and I sit on the board of a company called Telltale, which really reimagined adventure gaming and bringing storytelling back into interactive and combining the great things about storytelling in linear content with the ability to make choices and um, drive your own experience of interactive. And so, you know, our investment at Telltale was made a number of years ago when that was kind of a stupid idea and it's really worked because the storytelling is what engages people. And on the VR front, I'm, you know, come at it as a consumer but also an investor who's looking for the next platform opportunity to bring 
whether it's interactive or storytelling or really the combination of those two things. So uh, I bring that perspective to it and think it's just wide open territory and so cool to see and confusing as can be because there's so much going on, it's moving so quickly, but that really is what makes up uh, a, a good investment opportunities, not for the faint of heart, but um, it's the right time to be uh, getting involved from my point of view. So I'm definitely excited about storytelling too and think it's a great time to get involved. I think the thing that really drew me to VR first from an investment perspective was kind of realizing that in my mind it doesn't really sit in the traditional disruptive tech vertical. Um, it's really a paradigm shift I think we've decided and it's the next internet, the next mobile. And the thing that's exciting about that is VR touches everything in my mind. So cinema is gonna be great, gaming is gonna be great, but education is gonna be great. You can learn a language in VR or healthcare is gonna be great. You can help cure diseases. And I think a lot of the killer apps have not even been recognized yet. So travel, tourism, education, those are the things that I think are really gonna be the killer apps five or 10 years from now. So I want to expand a little bit more on something Chris and Cliff have said and Morgan have said about how this is a good time to get involved in VR. And you know, when you're sitting around a coffee table or when you're sitting around a crazy horse and you're having investment talks, um, how do you tell your, you know, you don't know if crazy horse, come on guys. It's, it's, uh, where do you, how do you convince VCs that are on the fence about you know, how do you c convince a VC that's on the fence, like, oh, you know, I don't know about this VR thing. How do you uh, persuade them to get involved? I think. Sweet. I think just plug them into an Oculus. I mean, everyone here still probably remembers that moment, even though everyone here is forward-thinking enough to probably have realized that VR is going to be a huge thing for the last six months, or a year, or two years, or forty years. Um, so I think people just have to see the applications. And you know, when you think about you know, gaming or cinema, it's really clear. But when you show someone that you can you know, help with pain management or help cure a phobia or something like that, I think those are really the huge ideas that really sort of raise people's eyebrows. And they say, oh, I didn't think about that before. And that just sort of opens the floodgates for people to think about what you can do with a medium. And your question was what, how do you convince, how do you get them across the line to do what? To, to get involved, invest in VR startups, so on and so forth. Yeah, so I hope I'm answering the question. Uh, you know, from my point of view, it is so early. And there's so much going on that it's gotta be, you've gotta, I, you've gotta, I have to be convinced that whoever I'm talking to has the flexibility and, and ability to adapt and change because you know that that product and business plan and great thing on PowerPoint that we see tomorrow is going to be so different because everything's going to be so different in two or three years when it really comes to commercial fruition. So I just look at kind of smarts and facility with dealing with change. I'd say VR is still very, very new. Yeah, you know, I, I keep reminding people, if I mention the word Oculus to you, this time last year, majority of people have no idea what the hell I was even talking about. 
So it, it's all really new, and there's no rules or standards yet. So I, I kind of encourage people, experiment with the platform. There's no way anyone can walk in and say they're the VR expert and they've solved all the problems. We're just starting to do that. I mean, you know, to the earlier point, it's, it's a visual medium. You know, show, to me, that's how you're going to sell something. You just show, you know, an experience, a piece of technology that just hasn't been done before. It sells itself. You're not, in my opinion, going to sell a concept or a business with a business deck. This is just actually showing something that hasn't been done before, and it's all available to do it. I mean, you know, what I give Oculus a lot of credit is promoting an open community. So all the tools and tech are out there to try and experiment. And then, again, depending on what sort of content or tech you're developing, there's plenty of holes. There's plenty of things to figure out. Just identify it and be able to present it. Yeah, I guess I'd just reiterate a lot of what these guys say. But, you know, really the challenge is build something and build something great. Like right now, like a lot of the big players, they aren't going to move into VR yet because there's not enough audience and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But you know that's when they aren't looking is the time for like the little guys and the independents to really be creative innovators to really work hard build something amazing and build that million person audience like the audience isn't going to come unless there's great experiences so it's kind of up to us you know developers out there and anyone else to just work on these ideas and build it don't again like they're saying you have to experience it a pitch deck won't do it hand waving gestures and pantomime no you have to build an amazing experience. and please. Make it at least 75 hertz and don't make me sick. Thank you. It's interesting because it looks like VR not only changed the, uh, a lot of uh, paradigm, but also the uh, fundraising one. Because we go from like PowerPoint to the Oculus, right? So that's a major achievement, I think. Uh, and uh, the challenge is basically there's no audience, right? So everybody in VR is now building something where there's no audience, there's no device, there's all distributed. So uh, from one you know, side, that's a problem because you can say, oh, we're going to monetize X amount of people and we're going to make this money. But on the other side, it's an open field for everybody. So it's a place where the beauty of your experience may draw people to invest without having to prove that you have a user base that will jump on it because there's not a user base right now. So it's, it's a little bit like the, the Wild West. Thank you, gentlemen, for your splendid answers. Um, curious to know uh, this thing that's been uh, circling inside my mind. So uh, the success of VR sort of hinges on VR going from the early adopter enthusiast to the masses, you know, the, the mass market. And I wonder, you know, what are your thoughts as to how and what will it take for this medium to cross that chasm? from the enthusiast, the, you know, the crazy like me, you're not crazy, but uh, um, to the person you know, like my grandma. And I'll start with Morgan and work my way back to Stefan. So content is king, right? And that's why we're sort of at this interesting chicken and egg problem right now for VR, is there's no clear platform, there's no 10 million devices out there you know, there's gears out there and there's DK2s out there, but it's tough for developers to really see the path forward, right? So you just have to, I think, believe as a content creator that every day that you spend on VR right now is hugely valuable because anyone who's been developing for Oculus for months or years, you have such a huge leg up because building in VR is super hard, right? And a lot of people, I mean, I was at the Samsung Developer Conference and I'd say 80% of the developers there 
were probably hearing about VR for the first time when Samsung was talking about it in the keynote. So the fact that you're in this room right now means that you've got a huge leg up on this industry. And if you're building and, building and demoing, that's even better. So I think the thing to get people involved is just build really phenomenal, amazing experiences so that when this really hits the mass market, which it's going to, you know, in a year or so, like a freight train, that there's really experiences that people are super excited to plug into. So that and just keep demoing to all your friends. And if it takes a thousand matrix jumps or something like that, you know, just keep at it because there's really nothing more rewarding right now in VR in my mind than actually seeing someone experience it for the first time because it's hilarious and awesome and YouTube reaction videos are great. So. I guess I'm going to punt. I really have no idea. Um, and so when I talk to folks, I hope they're focusing because my wife's not going to use this for a long time. And to the extent that someone came to me and said, we're going to hit the mass market, we've got it figured out, I would say, I'll tell you what, rather than mass market in year one, how about something in a focused area that you understand that you're passionate about and you find a passionate group that can really engage with your content and grow from there? Um, because I have no idea what piece of content, what type of interface, um, other than I know these things are going to be out there and the content's going to be available, but what gets people to s change. I mean, you're talking about taking people's leisure time or professional time, I guess, education time away from something else. Um, and I can't identify what exactly it is that pulls you or you or, you know, millions of people. Just in my opinion, with Oculus gear, well, Oculus and especially with Crescent Bay coming, I think the early adopters will naturally be gamers. I mean, that's that's Oculus's background. That's what they're focusing on. Um, you know, that's a given market. But more to your question, I think for a, a potentially broader audience, it's mobile. And, you know, hats off to Google with their little joke last spring. But, you know, the first million people to experience VR is going to be through cardboard, not Oculus. So that creates, I think, a lot of opportunities in the short term. And I think mobile is the short-term platform, and as Oculus starts getting product out there, and Sony and Microsoft and others, initially it'll be gamers, but that's just gonna enable everyone who's experimenting in mobile first, you're still gonna have a head start on those platforms as well. So just again, in my opinion, I'd say the immediate opportunities are all on the mobile side. I, th I think the way I look at it, or the way we look at it at Rothenberg is also, Understanding that there's not going to be one killer app for everyone. It's just like for television, right? Like some people like reality shows, some people like dramas, some people like sci-fi. And so VR, we just need to build enough of these different types of experiences to grab as many different types of people as possible. And we love the fact that, yeah, there's VR for healthcare, VR for, or for enterprise. Just think about how will VR transform what you're currently working on if it's not VR and how will it make it better? Because chances are it will make it better. And so think about, you know, as we're going through day-to-day -day or, or building whatever you're building, like think about the big ideas and how VR won't just be, oh, this is cool or this is nice or gosh, I need to have this or this couldn't have existed without VR. And those are the experiences that are really going to help make it mainstream or at least at the forefront of empathy and storytelling and enjoyment and entertainment and education and blah, blah. Um, I, I completely agree. And um, thinking of... I think everybody will want to try at least once, 
So even uh, you know, a grandma wants to try, oh, let's me, let me try this uh, Oculus uh, on. And you know, we have seen some funny video on YouTube about that. Uh, I think the challenge is more, is this going to be a meaningful experience? Is it going to be sticky, something that I want to keep doing? And so there are a lot of beautiful verticals that will be filled up over time. And the, the first one that I saw super clearly, for example, was one of those meetups, the Tilt Brush application. So there are you know, millions of people in the world that love to paint, but painting in 3D, in VR, is phenomenal. So if I'm already a painter, now I want, I want to do it that way. And so there's going to be a lot of these verticals that will unlock audiences. They will basically add up to the total that the VR is going to do. So I think there's going to be like, thinking about those verticals and addressing them with a great user experience, I think is going to make a lot of sense. Thank you again, gentlemen, for your awesome answers. So I want to shine a mirror on the VR community itself and VR as a medium itself because what I want to identify is the Achilles heel of virtual reality as it stands. And I want to get you guys' opinion as to what is that Achilles heel and what can be done to improve it um, so as to take over the world. And we'll start with Morgan and no, we'll start with Stefano and work our way back down. Um, I think one of the um, challenges is that you have to put something on your face that blocks you from the surrounding environment. So that has a lot of um, like negative connotations socially. So I think uh, other solutions that may generate the VR feeling that are less invasive, have less cables, and, and are still immersive, I think that will be um, a big step forward other than you know, avoiding people getting sick which is something that you know, no, nobody likes. Uh, I, I think that's the first big uh, obstacle that um, we'll need to get everybody on a playing field where people are comfortable doing it and um, it doesn't block uh, social interaction. Yeah, see, uh, the two biggest problems for VR right now for blocking mainstream adoption is the motion sickness that was kind of brought up and it's definitely Oculus has made great strides where now the technology won't make people sick, but it's up to the designers to not design shaky cam roller coasters all the time and understanding, again, like what's the translation. And a big part of that's connected to the second problem, which is input. So right now there is, like, you know, Oculus hasn't really explained what, like, everyone's hinting and guessing, but no one really knows what the mouse of VR is going to look like. And there's companies that are doing amazing things like Sixth Sense, and it's just about figuring out what those inputs are going to be and then how we're going to, you know, interact with the world, the virtual world. Um, again, a lot of what I've been focusing on is, is live-action video for VR, which is, in my opinion, a hell of a lot harder to do than all CG or gaming. So just being able to shoot in um, you know, a live-action scene is extremely hard. Now, there's really, you know, you can get a bunch of these GoPro rigs out there and go and shoot something. Uh, I'm working with the company Jaunt that's built a, a rig and continues to improve on that. But taking a 360-degree camera or rig or a bunch of GoPros and go out and shooting it, then stitching it, you know, the whole process is still extremely difficult. So I think there's a lot of opportunities technically to how to make doing 360 degree spherical video um, a lot easier to do because I think video is going to drive the growth of VR, you know, further than, um, than gaming. Uh, in the exposure I've had, uh, companies doing VR, um, the thing that, I don't know if it frustrates me, but it concerns me is the idea that everything's better with VR. And I don't 
think that's necessarily the case. I mean, I think it's got great use cases, and but the idea that gaming's broken, TV's broken, movies are broken, uh, education's broken because it hasn't yet had VR, I think is incorrect. I mean, I think it's about finding places where, especially at the early stage, where VR gives you that aha moment that, oh my God, I can't believe this is amazing, but that's not everything. Um, so that, that's my concern is the, the attitude that just because it's VR, it's gonna be so awesome. I'll just echo a few things that were said earlier. Um, I think for me there's sort of three big things that are still very big roadblocks right now. One is sort of the visual technical challenges around head tracking and things that the improvements are being made very rapidly, right? So I think that's gonna get solved. I think the second is also input. I think that's a huge pillar and there's awesome solutions like Sixth Sense, but that's not gonna be the answer for everything. And the third I'll just sort of throw in there is audio. I think audio is a huge part of immersive VR and a lot of people appreciate that and a lot don't. I mean, a lot of developers I know who I think have built really stellar experiences would say it's half of it. So that it's just a really tough problem. And they're all sort of things that we're gonna look back three years from now and have a much clearer hindsight view of, oh, of course, that was the path. But it's not obvious at all right now. So anyone who solves those things in a big way is going to be in a great spot. Um, and just sort of the conclusion of all that is, again, VR is really different. It's really hard. Storytelling is tough. Input is tough. The technical stuff will get solved, but it's not quite there yet. So it's fun to think about. Thank you again for your answers. Um, so moving on to the next question, if I'm a founder and I have a, a software startup, a VR software startup or a, a VR hardware startup, how do I impress you? How do I, you know, what are the sets of things or the pattern of uh, things that a successful founder does to impress a VC, especially in a medium that is barely sort of nascent? You know, what, 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 what sorts of things are you looking for? And I'll start with Morgan and work my way down to Stefano. Thank you. Um, have a demo. Uh, have a good demo, I guess. And I mean, it's really fun for us to see exciting new applications of VR. So if you're doing something in an underserved market at the moment, like education, for example, that's probably going to be automatically exciting. But it's also just building really quality experiences. Like Tibetat said before, it's really tough to convince people that VR is going to be the next thing if you're showing them a shoddy product, basically. I think that's part of the risk of Google Cardboard, for example, and I definitely appreciate that it's getting VR in the hands of hundreds of thousands of people, but those experiences have to be really, really high level, and that's why I love, just as an example, I love demoing with a gear, because I think it's the first really, truly excellent mobile solution that we have. So I think it's just taking advantage of the tech that's out there and, yeah, coding in 75 frames or more. Uh, well, by way of example, I invested in Servios, and what um, compelled me about them were the demo was awesome. Um, the people seemed to really, really intimately understand their market, and they were passionate about the market. They had confidence. Maybe they were a little overconfident, but they also uh, understood that they weren't going to do it all themselves, and they needed partners. And uh, so just that whole package of smarts, passion, great demo, um, and my belief that they can be uh, sort of flexible um, got me excited and over the hump on that one. Uh, 
I, I would say have a team and some level of expertise in what you're trying to do. Um, don't be a software engineer and coming in saying you want to be a filmmaker. You know, have, have some background that gives you some automatic credentials that, you know, for any of these people that are going to write a check, they want to know that you can execute. So uh, build a team around you and leverage any degree of expertise that you have. And then just a little bit more about what kinds of demos. Again, we're looking for the things that are like, this needs to exist. I see this and it's like, yeah, this couldn't exist anywhere else except for in VR or wow, this is going to help the world in so many ways beyond just you know, what people originally thought VR would be for, which is just gaming. And so, I mean, if you come up with things that, again, just push the bar or move the conversation forward in ways that other people haven't, that's the stuff that really gets uh, us excited and we look forward to. And I think VR is intrinsically interdisciplinary. So having like understanding of you know, the story, the art side, the technical side, and the psychology of the actual person experiencing it, I think it's also very, uh, very powerful because it's it's quite different, you know, and, and quite complex. So it's a it's a factor that at least in our partners, you know, we always look into that. If uh, there's a team that has the depth and the experience uh, to actually understand the all the way A to Z, the user experience, not just building the technology. Thanks again. Can you help me define success? What does success mean? Uh, in this in this new medium, like the first year, you know, what is what is success, and then and then, this might be a fool's errand, but what does five years into the future look like, and what does success look like then? See what I'm saying? It's a weird question, and I'll start with Morgan. From a investing perspective or market perspective? Yeah, yeah let's do your perspective, and then Stefano, your perspective will come. Cool. Um, so year, I think it's just again kind of repeating myself, but just sort of building really great things. You know, there, we're still in this one-year period, at least, where just building awesome content is king. And beyond that, five or ten years from now, I have no idea. I hope there's hundreds of millions of headsets out there, obviously. And five years from now, the tech is going to be ridiculous, and mobile headsets will be absolutely mind-blowing and blow anything today completely out of the water. But that just means I have no idea. <laughs> I'll echo. No idea. Uh, build a great team and over-deliver on what you promised uh, on day one of that year. Um, I think in some regards, VR and AR kind of go hand in hand, and there's some things we need to solve in VR first before AR is a reality. Um, so yeah, I, I can look... I mean, VR is still at its infancy, and it's going to get better. And I think AR is going to succeed on what we build on from VR. So I think this is just beginning of a, a long run. Yeah, I guess, uh, I mean, right now, it, it's still, even though there are a lot of people here interested in investing, there are a lot of VCs here, there still hasn't been a lot of investments made in VR yet. And so for any team that's building VR, just realize that that it's not like frothy and ridiculous. It's not like you know mobile or SaaS or any of these other things. It, you got to be lean. You got to be scrappy, especially in, the, in this year and the next year, and until we reach the millions of headsets. But prepare, build, again with great tools like Mixamo, Unity, Unreal. You know you don't need huge teams to do amazing things and just work on those amazing things. But be smart about how you do it. So maybe a good metric for first year success is survival. 
that works. <laughs> um, so uh, the next question is, if I'm, if I'm a VC, and you guys have sort of hinted at this already, um, Tibetad and Cliff, uh, but I, I wonder, like, what is the mentality that I have to get in, you know, that I have to get, put myself in to, in order for me to thrive in this new industry? Because, you know, I, I wonder if the person who's a VC who wants to make money next year you know, I wonder if that's the right mentality to have. I, you know, I want to, so I want to sort of well, expand on what you think that <laughs> that mentality is. I'll start with Morgan again. I think right now we're still at the stage where, again, building really quality things is extremely difficult. So I think just being in a development environment or a prototyping environment for hardware and just doing it every single day and realizing how tough it is is just going to give every single company that's working on this right now a huge leg up because five years from now, all the best practices will clearly be known, but right now, effectively, none of them are. If someone tells you they've developed the best UI in the world for VR, no way, that's impossible, you're insane. It just started, so who knows what, there's gonna be 10 different good answers to that, and it'll be obvious in the future, but for now, just play around as much as you can because you're gonna learn something new and valuable every single day. And if you were raising money and you had the choice, and I uh, understand that you know, raising money is difficult, so maybe people don't have choices, but were you to have the choice, don't take money from someone who thinks they're gonna make money in year one, or year two, or maybe year three. I mean, there've been, uh, maybe one, maybe more big outcomes, but those are, you know, those are the exception that proves the rule that it's going to take some time and venture investors should be in it for trials and tribulations along with you. So um, I guess that's answer number one. And answer number two is at the early stage of anything, incredible frugality, raise as little as you have to to prove and then uh, once you've proved, go raise more. But um, the frugality piece is what gets you to Stefano's point of survival. I think that's super critical right now while things change. Great opportunity, but it's so dynamic. Um, you don't want to blow your wad on something before you're absolutely convinced that it's going to work. I, I totally agree. You, you have to be extremely careful who you choose to take money from. And you know, like Chris is saying, you're not going to see a return in this, this industry for years to come. So you have to be very, very careful who you partner with because that's, that's what you're signing up with. And if you have someone you know, who's hanging over your head looking for a return, um, you're going to fail. Yeah, and again, like we're up here, we're early stage investors, right? Like, so we think five to ten years for the lifetime, at least like yeah, when we're thinking seeing money back. We're not thinking this is going to be a quick buck in any means, but we're in it for the long haul. We believe in this vision, and it doesn't start because these problems take that much time to solve, and so we got to start that process. So that's why we're here. Yeah, plus one on what uh, Chris said. Uh, when we started in 2008 and having you know, animation as an online service was something that people were looking at me like, what are you talking about? And so uh, definitely they are the proof that uh, patient money works and also commit long-term commitment is, is key. So, you know, finding VCs that have domain expertise is the most important thing probably because they know the industry and they know there's not going to be return in six months, you know. 
and so they know what's coming in the future, maybe in some cases even more than the founders do because they have seen a lot of companies. And so uh, it's important this domain expertise, I think, is really, really important and this long-term commitment. Um, so we have five minutes left, and we're going to have to cruise through these two last questions. So uh, what is at stake here? I mean, what is, because I've, we're sort of trying to, you know, hit at the Achilles heel, you know, what is going to take to get to that, you know, mass market. But if, if VR is successful, what does that mean? Like what, and it, to be more specific, can we start talking about what are the potential profit margins of a successful VR software startup too, too early? But so what does it mean, um, you know, what, what's at stake, essentially? What do you guys think is at stake? Why is this important? Stefano, we'll start with you. Yeah, so, um, yeah, that's a very interesting question because basically um, the whole, like, monetization ecosystem of VR doesn't exist at the moment. So we don't even have, like, the, the, the basement of the house, basically. And then I think maybe the first floor is hardware, which is still not out there. The second one will be uh, middleware software that enables people to have, you know, devices and, and all that kind of stuff. The third floor of the house will be probably content, uh, which may be even, you know, another magnitude bigger than the other two floors. And then once that is locked and there's an experience, then, you know, monetization and all this stuff comes afterwards. So uh, I think it's really hard to predict now what the mechanism will be. There's definitely... Uh, we see an, a big opportunity on the content side, also because it's really hard to make content for VR. And so when, that thing, when, when something is so hard, then usually there is a lot of value added once they, it can deliver the, um, the experience that you want. So you know, for now, we're just looking at the third floor, and it's already really far you know, on the horizon. So I don't know afterwards. I think um, you know, VR for me represents a lot of the ultimate way to communicate, especially for knowledge and empathy and understanding. So, you know, people look back historically, when we got books and printed, we could communicate in these ways. It opened so many doors. When we got international travel, you know, it opened so many doors. The world got smaller and hopefully a little bit better. And then, you know, as soon as, you know, the internet, we could start communicating and start understanding. Even though it seems like sometimes it's more violent now than it was before, statistically, it's actually better. And so now we get to VR and you can literally walk in someone else's shoes, and that's exactly what empathy is about. So if we can create better understanding of what with each other, I mean, I really think that's what's at stake when we talk about VR. I, I think this is the transition year. I think there's a lot we're just gonna learn over the course of this year. But again, you, you're not, if you're in business this time next year, you're successful, you know, and if you can survive. Um, and I think it's really about experimenting a lot this year, see what people are responding to, pushing the technology, and being well-positioned for next year. Um, you know, I think this is probably going to be huge. I don't know the time frames exactly, but when I think about the visceral reaction you see people have when they have that VR experience for the first time, it's pretty amazing. And there aren't that many times that I can think of in my experience, or even just historically, that you've got that kind of reaction. Um, you know, when the cell phone came out, it's a big brick. You saw somebody walking around, you're like, that's really dorky. Not, i got to have one of those. Uh, PC was probably the same way. I mean, PC didn't excite people when it came out. It was for the tinkerers and hackers. Um, photographs and moving pictures were probably this kind of, like, 
oh my God, that's amazing. We've never been able to do that. I, that's gonna change things. And so I try not to get too enthusiastic, but when I see people's visceral reaction, my own personal visceral reaction, I think, you know, this is gonna be huge. What it looks like and how long it takes, I don't know. But I think something quite large is at stake um, because it just kind of speaks to people. I do think VR is sort of the next paradigm shift of technology, I guess, after the internet and mobile, in my mind at least. So what's at stake, if you think about those two, is just essentially limitless. And most of it we have not even thought of and are probably incapable of really figuring out right now. But sort of like the negative flip side of that is VR has been around for a long time, right? So there's been a lot of ebbs and flows and peaks and valleys. So I think what's at stake if there isn't, you know, really a really great experience for people to have when it finally is out there in mass, we're going to come into a different trough. And I think there's a lot of people who have been around VR for decades and decades who are a little bit more cautious uh, than I think we are because we're just so excited about this. So I think there's, I think there is still a risk in this next year of us sort of hitting another lull, so I hope that doesn't happen, and what keeps that from happening is building great experiences for people. And I have no idea what the profit margins will be, but I bet a lot of people will make a lot of money. So bringing back this conversation full circle, uh, because this is the, it's called, na it's named the, you know, funding the creation of the virtual reality metaverse. I, so nobody asked me why this is important to me, but I'm going to say why. I'm scared, and I'm going to tell you why. Because the AI economy, um, I am ignorant, so I don't know a lot. But what I've seen is that deep learning algorithms and AI is getting smarter and smarter, and I think it's growing exponentially. And I think that the rate of displacement in the jobs that we have today will not catch up to the efficiency of the machine economy. And for that matter, I believe that the metaverse needs to be created so that we can build an economy. Second Life has done it already, so we have a blueprint. Um, so that we can create an economy that, is, uh, that can counterbalance this new weight, this weight that we've never seen before. And I'm hopeful, and I look around, and I see that the future looks bright. Uh, so this question uh, that I'm going to throw, it's a free-for-all, so please feel free to not touch it or touch it if you like. Um, is, is the metaverse a thing? Will, will the metaverse help humanity if we build it, if we create it? How do we deal with the AI economy? Whoever wants to. You know, so I'll just talk a little bit about some of this because it's pretty out there and crazy. But, but I do love this idea of, you know, if your virtual life was just as rich as your real life and we could get away from this materialistic economy society that we have and be more about experiences that we share with one another. And to me, I think that's cool. And, you know, if I don't have to move a million boxes, I just move, of garbage that I'll never probably look at again. But instead, I just, you know, have a headset. And that, to me, represents all these things of traveling to different places and meeting people or seeing my parents that are in Thailand right now in an instance in a way that, you know, I feel their presence, not like a flat, you know, Skype or FaceTime, but I actually, you know, they reach out their hand and I reach back. It, like, that, to me, is really interesting and compelling. And that's more about the experiences and less about material goods and, you know, industry as we know it. Well, I totally agree with you. Oh, I think that was like, probably only like 
Thank you. Uh, so uh, can I say one thing about the fear of uh, AI in the AI economy? So the goal of uh, natural evolution is not to preserve us. The goal of natural evolution is to preserve intelligence and improve it. So bacteria were fine when we were not around. Now, you know, nature is using us. The next will be probably the machines with amazing AI. That's how it's going to be. Just, let's just embrace it and have a lot of fun in VR in the meantime. <laughs> the He's one of them. <laughs> Um, objective function, so we can talk about this for hours if you want, um, but uh, intelligence is its own objective function. It just evolves naturally. I guess survival, maybe, yeah. I'll just say, I think there is, I think, you know, you could say the same thing about the industrial revolution or global trade or something. I think there's obviously going to be a lot of disruption. I also think the net impact is going to be massively good for things in the end game like empathy. I think that's going to be huge or connecting people or just giving people opportunities that they will never ever have in their lives. Like like in the long run, you know, kids who live in the middle of the outback who go to school via a radio right now VR is way more than a step function for that. And I think it just really kind of, I think kids who are you know, in a classroom learning in VR, learning spatially, are gonna retain 50 to 100 times more information than we do today or something like that. So I think the changes for humanity are gonna be pretty awesome. Yeah, I don't think Facebook spent two and a half billion dollars for a gaming platform. I mean, they clearly want it to be a social platform. So a lot of the content right now just may be, you know, an individual experience, but how this thing scales and how it gets adopted is going to be driven by social. And this may be an unpopular comment here, but I mean, I just don't believe that VR is going to be the same as me sitting in this room physically with any of you or having a conversation after or going and playing soccer or taking a run where my feet actually touch the ground. So. I mean, I think it's super cool. I think it's going to have great utility. But I sure hope we don't raise a generation or 100 generations of human beings who think that that's actually how we interface with each other. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, last question. We're going to go out with a bang, OK? Um, can you, and I don't, feel free to not touch this one, OK? Um, <laughs> can you prove to me that we are not in a simulation right now? Can you, can you prove to me that we're not wearing the 12th generation Oculus Rift headset? And all this isn't real. Anybody? Actually, I'm with Oculus Tech Support. Chris, you need to take off the headset. You've been in it too long. You haven't eaten for days. Okay. We'll leave it at that. Uh I agree. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so we're going to move to Q&A. Five questions from the crowd, really quick. Uh, here. 
Yes. <laughs> I uh, I don't know that I can answer the question specifically. I get back to if uh, someone convinces me that they've got a pretty good shot with a really good idea, what you said may be totally valid. Honestly, don't know. I typically go into these conversations way outgunned by the people I'm talking to. So this matter of trust and like what you're saying sounds real reasonable, but honestly, I do not look at investing in all of your companies. Like I know it, you gotta convince me that you know it too. It's like, I have no freaking idea. You're the boss. Yeah, I, I guess the one thing I would say, like, it really doesn't matter if you're building Unity, Unreal, Web. I mean, as long as it's, the experience hits the objectives. And so, you know, I think the objectives will be different for enterprise versus gaming versus uh, entertainment education. So visual fidelity or whatever isn't as important as long as, again, you, you reach the goals of whatever you're trying to do. So part of the reason why we did the River Accelerator program was to help address this. It's not, it's not the ultimate solution or the only, but it's a step in the right direction. And we're, again, doing this program where, you know, we announced it six, seven weeks ago, and we're incubating, or sorry, accelerating 10 different companies. We're giving them 100K in seed capital, 20K in services support and real estate, and we're setting them up for three months in our San Francisco work, co-working space to kind of set up this spring training for VR. And we're looking for people and we want to help them. We understand it's like the first steps towards that. It's not, it's, it's definitely not enough to run your company, but it's a good start. And we're willing to put our money where our mouth is. I mean, you're also seeing with, I mean, Samsung is funding some content. Oculus is, is going to be funding some content. Obviously their goal is to sell units, but there are some other sources other than just you know, traditional VCs.
guess I'm the one that stepped into that. <laughs> um, again, I, I think AR is a much harder problem to solve. At least with VR, you control the platform. So whatever you want your consumer or audience to see, you control all that. Obviously, AR takes you into the real world. And sensors, you know, are the tech keeps improving, but still has some limitations when I take a sensor out into natural light. So that has a lot of limitations. And then I have the processing of combining computer graphics with live action or the real world. So all of that sort of computing, um, bandwidth, um, all those sorts of issues need to be solved. And that's exactly what Magic Leap and Microsoft are all working on. But I still think that's a couple years out in comparison to VR, where VR is just like a display. I control what's rendered on that display. Yeah, also, I think in some cases, um, they have very different use cases as well. So like VR, you want to be completely immersed, and you're watching maybe a film in VR. And then for AR, basically, a lot more contextual. So there's a lot more moving parts. There's also more sensor integration that you have to do with the real environment. Um, so it's definitely, it's, it seems more complicated, uh, definitely. Two more questions. Both. I will say, like, I've heard a lot of people come to me and be like, we really want to be the YouTube for 360 video. Oh, sorry. So he's just like, is there any part of VR that's over-invested in that there might be a bubble or something along those lines? And so I, I've gotten a lot of people, even before I was with Rothenberg, they, they'd be like, yeah, I'm trying to do the... YouTube for 360 video. YouTube has officially announced that they are doing the 360 video support, so please come up with a different idea. That's, that's all I will say. Yeah, I mean, I can't see. I mean, certainly there's a lot of money in some aspects. Oh, I was just quickly going to say I, I, there's been a lot of investment in some parts of the infrastructure and development, but uh, it seems to me that there's very little investment in many other areas, so I can't at all see this as, as an investment bubble in VR today. Way more money is needed. It better not blow up now. I'll just say real quick, one thing that's been really rewarding reading all the applications for our accelerator, River, is... I was expecting there to be a massive over-indexing on gaming, and then after that, maybe on cinematic, the whole 360 stack, or whatever you want to call it. But what's been really cool is there are people all over the world working on stuff that we didn't think would be very attractive to developers because of the monetization question. And we're at this cool stage where people are so infectiously enthusiastic about VR that they really don't care. And I mean, we've literally gotten applications from every continent except for Antarctica. So people, I don't know what they're doing, but um, people are working on everything, and that's really, really cool. So I'm sure gaming will be you know, the first adoption and cinematic stuff, but so far I've been pleasantly surprised by the really early stage people that they're working on everything, which is cool. Last question, Florian. 
maybe holograms that's an option there's there's been you know holographic technology out there uh, for a while so maybe some of the content will transfer over to that i'm a big fan of holograms they're great I would say get rid of, oh sorry, I was gonna say get rid of the screen altogether and just hire a fantastic magician. Cause that's the best I can think of for virtual reality. Or a play. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's a sense of presence. It's not just that visual screen, but the surrounding ambience as well. Sound. Okay, so that concludes our question and answer and panel. Um, thank you.